So here's the quote from the book. All that you touch, you change. All that you change changes you. The only lasting truth is change. Let me retype that so that you read it a little better. <laughs> what do you mean? You're not introducing a children's puppet show. Hello, welcome, Jackie. Take it away. Hello. <laughs> Thank you for that intro, Theo. Well, you didn't introduce me, did you? I did. He said your name's Jackie. Okay, do it again. I liked it. I want to hear it again. Hello, welcome, Jackie, whatever. Take it away, I guess. <laughs> Loved it. Loved that even more. All right. Welcome, everyone, to Fire the Canon, the podcast where we read the books in the Western canon and decide if they belong or not. Today, oh, you know what? I'm going to give the other two a chance. I'm Jackie. I'm Rachel. Thanks for giving me a chance. I'm <laughs> Theo, the producer. Um, so today we're, we're doing something a little bit out of the ordinary for this podcast. So this work that we're going to be talking about is... The most recent of them all. The most recent of them all, yeah. So this is The Parable, Parable of the Sower by Octavia E. Butler. This book was written in 1993 when I was just a wee babe. Rachel and I were a mere two years old. Theo was a mere... One year old. Aw, how cute. It won awards, it's got critical acclaim, but it didn't really become part of the, the national conversation until actually just last year. It has been taught in various literature courses in universities, right. but so far it's not frequently assigned in high school classes, which is kind of the barometer we've been using. But it's really blown up in, in the year 2020, and I think that has a lot to do with the subject matter of the book and what happened to everyone in 2020. So, Well, can I just jump in and say I'm excited about learning about this book? Because, of course, I didn't read it. I know nothing about it. Yeah. But I'm excited about it. Yeah. Because I've heard that it's sci-fi, mm -hmm. which I'm kind of excited about. And also the title is very interesting to me, Parable of the Sower for a sci-fi novel. That's mm -hmm. interesting. Mm -hmm. What could that mean? And also the cover <laughs> just looked really cool. So it's a triple crown winner. <laughs> it's a triple threat. Um, do you want to talk a little bit about Octavia Butler real quick, Jackie? Octavia E. Butler. I kind of looked at Butler's life a little bit in, in the lens of what you know, the similarities are to the main character of this book. So the main character of this book is named Lauren Olamina. So the main character of the book, Lauren, she's being raised by her dad and stepmom. Her mom died giving birth to her. Um, Octavia E. Butler, on the other hand, is being raised by her mother. Her dad did not die giving birth to her. I'm not sure what happened to her dad. But so um, raised by her mom, they're both from California. And early on, they, they both kind of began envisioning these new sorts of worlds. So Butler said that she would be writing these, you know, fanciful stories even very early on in life and imagining, you know, what things could be like. And She said the first time she wrote a story, I think, was she watched... Did she watch a movie or a TV episode? And she said, wait a second, I could write something better than that. And then... Ever since then, she Do we know <laughs> what the movie or TV episode cool. was? I don't know. <laughs> I think she was nine years old. Yeah, though. but that's badass. Like, I want to know what that was that she was yeah. like, I could do better. She's probably that. right. And she was, yeah, she was right. Butler claimed to have three loyal audiences black readers, science fiction fans, and feminists. That was her base. Nice. Butler said, quote, that she wrote herself into the mostly white male-dominated field of sci-fi. She worked really hard to 
you know, get into that space. Lauren in the book um, creates a new religion, and throughout the book, she calls this Earth Seed. Spoilies. I mean, it, I think she says that on like the first page. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> or like the third intro. Page. Yeah. Like... Rachel always wants to call spoilers on me. <laughs> well, it's funny. It's a running joke now. <laughs> yeah, ha ha ha. Yeah, at Jackie's expense. And Good I also <laughs> like that it's a spoiler for like five minutes from now in the podcast. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that's the best part. Yeah, you should come up with a sound effect for spoilers. You've just been spoiled. Spoiled. Oh, I see. Like some awful like radio DJ. Jade. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You've been sp- sp- spoiled. Welcome to the spoil zone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this was um, the first in what was supposed to be a trilogy. It ended up only being two books. The second book is Parable of the Talents. And Octavia E. Butler suffered from writer's block and never finished the third novel. Like I said, it reached the New York Times bestseller list in September 2020. So that's 14 years after she died, mm-hmm. um, which I think is pretty impressive. But it wasn't there before? No, it had never been there before. It was always very well regarded in the sci-fi community. It didn't start showing up on Goodreads all over the place until last year. Which I'm happy for them, but I'm a little annoyed because I already knew about it. She liked it before it was cool. Yeah. (laughs) Well, I mean, when we get into talking about what the book is about, we should have paid much more attention to this a long time ago. Yeah. Uh, We should have learned the lessons (laughs) before 2020. It takes place in 2024. Ooh, I know. Election year. Wow, I hate that you mentioned that. I didn't want to think about that. Sorry. <laughs> um, Theo, you asked when we were talking about this last time or prepping for it, you asked if it was a work of Afrofuturism, right? Yeah. The thing about Afrofuturism is that some people define it in a very broad way and some people define it more narrowly. It like every definition, it has to be has to take place in the future and look at, you know, what would it mean to be black in the future? And it can be like African diaspora. It can take place in the continent of Africa, whatever. But it does have to be some kind of like sci fi in the future that wrestles with. What will it mean to be black? What will have changed? Mm-hmm. What will be the same? I think it fits that. Yeah, yeah it definitely does. A lot of people consider it to be like an Afrofuturist work, but I don't think that she wrote it saying at the time this is mm-hmm. going to be in this subgenre or tradition. Yeah, and certainly, I mean, I think she didn't think of it that way herself, but it's possible that you know, like you yeah. said, it does share a lot of the same features. Yeah, so if someone told me they didn't think it was, I'd be happy for them to explain why. I tend to think that it is, but whatever. Yeah, okay, so we should say what our Skype names are, or sorry, we should say what our Zoom names are, what our Zoom nicknames are. I don't know. What year are you living in? Oh, jeez. All right, well, (laughs) I named myself Robledo. Robledo is the name of the town in California that um, the book opens in. That's where Lauren's neighborhood is. All right, Rachel, who are you? I'm Acorn, the name of the colony they eventually found and theo is i am an important lesson nice he knew there was one because of jackie's introduction (laughs) also because (laughs) it's called a parable (laughs) (laughs) should we explain what the parable of the sower is or should we just let people i think we should theo are you familiar with it I am not even remotely familiar with it. It's from the Bible, of course. Oh, the biblical Bible. Yeah, the biblical Bible. Do you want me to read the parable real quick? Not the satanic Bible? Do you want me to read it real quick? Oh, yeah, please do. Is it short? A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Oh, the sun! Exactly. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Choked the plants. 
Still other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop. Nice. 160 or 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. 160 or 30? 100, comma, 60, comma, or 30 times what was sown. It's a weird order to say those numbers in. I don't have a sound effect for that. Should we have done more sound effects? <laughs> he was sound effecting the entire time. So. <laughs> so did you actually hear it or not really because you're too busy making sounds? They call me the Foley man. Well, I think that I heard it, but I'm not sure I really learned a lesson from Whoever it. has ears, let them hear. Oh, that's what it means. You're supposed to put your seeds on. Basically. You're supposed to spray your seed everywhere. <laughs> no. So the parable is saying like some places are prepared to receive what you're giving. Like some people in places are are ready and are a good place for the thing that you're giving them to multiply and ah. take root, mm-hmm. whatever. But that it doesn't matter. Like let's say you help 10 people, some of them, it won't make a difference. But to some of them- Or six or three. Yeah, or three. So anyway, that's the parable of the sower. That was a good joke. You're going to notice that later when you're editing. Jackie, right. some of your jokes there are something where you would go like, huh. But not where you have to laugh and laugh and laugh. I'll edit in a big laugh. <laughs> yeah, that's what I was saying. I think all of my jokes should be laughing and laughing and laughing. Laughing and laughing and laughing. An ocean of laughter. Yeah. yeah. Pee Wee Herman then didn't have the right idea because you got to spread your seed where it's going to take. Not where it's going to get you arrested. It's not <laughs> when it's going to take you to jail. It's supposed to be like Jesus's message. Like some people are prepared to receive it and some are yeah, not. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I get yeah. it. I get it. Can I tell you the fourth reason I'm excited about this book? Please. And then a fifth. Well, simply because her name is Octavia. You've only had good experiences with Octavias in the past. <laughs> <laughs> well, I don't know. I just love that name. It's like a classic Roman name, right? Yeah. Kind of goes along with like Theophilus. And One it's might kind say. of mm. musical. It means you're the eighth born. Yeah. Oh. So do you think her siblings were named like Primaria and Secundia? And I remember when I was taking Latin in high school and I opened my textbook on the first day and the first thing we were supposed to be translating was a story about Sextus, Uh-oh. the character Sextus, <laughs> and Sextus Puer Est. He's a boy. And what were they thinking? <laughs> Making a textbook for high schoolers. And the main character in all of these stories is named Sextus. But if you didn't really know anything about Latin, which you wouldn't have at the very beginning, it just sounds like Sextus. It has sex in it, Jackie. I know. Yeah, don't you know about sex? It does. <laughs> Wait, what? <laughs> oh, gosh. Rachel and I have to do the talk again. <laughs> she keeps forgetting. <laughs> Every time. Um, Ever since the head trauma. Uh, That's it. That's my story about Roman names. <laughs> I tried to take Latin in high school because I thought it was really cool that Theo was doing it, but my mom said no. She said nothing Theo does is cool. What? Really? If Theo, you know, jumped off a bridge, yada, yada, yada. It would be uncool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Would you really do something that uncool? And you're not allowed. Yeah. Um, all right. Should we get into the book? Yeah, girl. We're kind Gosh, of in I'm the book. nervous. We're kind of in the book. You're nervous because you have four. Five. No, four reasons, but you have to come up with a fifth. That's what I, I was need to come say. up with eight because we're looking for Octavia oh, here. Yeah. You want me to do it now? I can't do it now. That's four more things I have to think of right now. Yeah. I normally have like one thought an hour. Let's just do that. <laughs> here goes the five-hour recording. All right. Yeah. So chapter one, it starts off on Saturday, July 20th, 2024. Immediately, I was like, God, that's close. Okay. So the main character, Lauren Oya Olamina, starts the book 15 years old and... She lives in a town in California called Robledo. It's a walled town. And at one point, she says there are 11 households in the town, but it it sort of fluctuates. Everyone has a ton of kids. It seems like there's no birth control. Her family 
She's the only daughter, and I think she has four younger half-brothers. She lives with her dad and her stepmother and her four younger half-brothers. And she talks about how she's the only person in the town who has her own bedroom, and it's because she's the girl in the family. Her dad is a preacher or a minister. He's a Baptist minister, and so they have church in their living room usually every Sunday. And she talks about how she's not a Baptist anymore. She doesn't believe in it. But she's, like, too afraid to say anything about it. And also, she really loves her dad, and I think she doesn't want to upset him. Yeah, she has her own idea of God. It's not the Baptist idea. Yeah, it's something she's been thinking about for a long time. She's a very, very serious character. She's a Mm -hmm. 15-year-old girl, but she is not anything like any 15-year-old girl you've ever met. Uh, She's certainly not anything like Lydia from Pride and Prejudice. (laughs) Mm. And she has this condition that she refers to as sharing or hyper-empathy. And here's the first little bit of sci-fi, I think. is So there's, like, futuristic drugs that get taken in this book. One of them we'll talk about later has, like, kind of a more destructive role. But apparently her, her mother took some type of drug, which was popular at the time. I don't know if it was, like, a recreational drug or what. doesn't really matter. The point is that it, it ended up causing her mother's death. And Lauren then was born with hyper-empathy, which means that she could feel the sensations of those around her if she's looking at them. Uh. But the thing is, she makes it clear to us that she's not actually feeling it because if someone pretends that they're in pain she feels pain oh it's empathy but so for example if she looks at someone who just broke their leg but they don't let on that their leg is broken she is totally fine i see so it's she says it's psychosomatic but there's nothing she can do about it is it really intense like yeah it depends on the sensation I think emotional pain she also feels too she mostly talks about physical sensations she says she's supposed to feel negative and positive sensations, but there's just not a whole lot of like pleasurable sensations going around. Ah. She has sex a lot, which she says mm-hmm. is like it's awesome because she feels his and hers. Yeah, Whoa. yeah, mm-hmm. but mostly it's a terrible thing for her. Yeah, she's 15 and she's the minister's daughter, so she doesn't get to have a whole lot of sex. But she also has a she lives in a town of like 10 yeah. houses, <laughs> but everyone does have a lot of kids. Yeah, <laughs> she has a boyfriend. His name is Curtis. Um, yeah. He's not the only one that she's slept with. That's kind of like one of the only things that she gets pleasure from. Mm-hmm. Her brother, her younger brother Keith, used to mess with her. Like um, he would put something red on him and pretend to be bleeding, and she would bleed even though he wasn't actually bleeding. Whoa. Yeah, she would have. Sp- spontaneous bleeding but as soon as she started menstruating that part stopped at least yeah she's keeping it a secret from most people because she doesn't want it to be exploited wait so in that case if she saw someone get hit by a car what would happen to her she would feel like she was being hit by a car she would be be in agony she'd probably pass out like if she saw someone die would she die she sees people die in the book and she describes it as she says like oh you know i died four times or whatever but she doesn't actually die she does feel terrible and yeah Oh, wow. When the book first opens, she does not know if she would die if she saw someone die. Right. You know, a little spoiler alert, like, she's going to have to kill animals and people at, at some point, and yeah. she doesn't know, like, what that's going to be like, but she realizes that it didn't kill her, but she feels like their pain, like, come to this huge crescendo and then kind of just die off, and that's when the person dies. She doesn't feel the hyper-empathy for all animals, like, you know, higher-order mammals and so on. She feels it oh, more strongly, but, yeah. like, a fish or something is no problem. Or a snail. A slug. <laughs> or a worm. 
on the sidewalk. Correct. Man, that would be awful if you had hyper empathy for every little creature. Ugh. You would see a fly and then you would get like really amped up. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like you would be excited and happy and horrified all the same time. Yeah. And you just start throwing up on everything. Yeah. Because that's what flies But do. anyway, she keeps it a secret from everyone but her immediate family because she doesn't want anybody to basically they could disable her instantly by just like appearing to be in pain. Right. Right. And this is a pretty um dog eat dog world. So mm-hmm. it's taking place in 2024. And by this time, the reason they're living in this walled neighborhood is because due to climate change and corporate greed and wealth inequality and, and lots of things that we should have seen coming have pretty much destroyed the world. So there's hardly any law and order. That'll be fixed by 2024, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We got a few years. <laughs> and her, her dad frequently talks about how slavery is returning and all this other stuff. Oh, they're calling it by other names, but that's basically what it is. And right. there is government, like there's a president and there are police and things like that, but they don't do anything good. Like if you call the police because something bad is happening, they're going to come like days later and probably just kill somebody else. Yeah. You have to pay for the phone call. You have to pay for them to do something. So sometimes people are killed. Yeah. If something's on fire and you have to pay for the fire department to come, you have to pay for the water that they use. Yeah. Water's in very short supply. Very expensive. People don't drive cars, really. At one point, the dad says water costs three times as much as gas, but Lauren notes that people don't really drive, so it doesn't matter. If anybody has a private vehicle, they're extremely, extremely rich. But the interesting thing is that they have to just basically grow whatever they eat. Like, there's no grocery stores they can go to for the most part not within their town like they grow their food and it's very dangerous for them to leave people are always trying to break in right but that's what i was going to say the interesting thing is that um you know they are not wealthy they're not rich they have many many struggles but to the people who live outside of the walled neighborhoods who are Mm -hmm. in the wild basically they are viewed as the rich people yeah we'll need to get into more of that later but it's, i mean it's a bad situation <laughs> very bad situation <laughs> they do talk about how everyone since water is in such so- short supply if you're clean it's looked at as though you're showing off and bragging and trying to stand out and you'll immediately get beat up so that even though in the town they stay relatively clean if they ever have to leave they wear they have specifically dirty outfits that they put on yeah They said filth is in fashion. One thing that I think influences Lauren pretty early on is that there's, so there's a Mars mission. We've got people out on Mars now and they're trying to, of course, find other worlds where it might be possible one day to move humanity to since the earth is dead. Mm -hmm. There's an astronaut who went up there and died as part of the mission and wanted her body to be left on Mars, but they wouldn't let her because they thought it would contaminate Mars and all this. So she had to come back to Earth. And Lauren just talks about how sad she is that this astronaut wasn't able to die on her chosen heaven. And this idea of the chosen heaven kind of starts to form a pretty large role in her own thinking. Yeah, the U.S. is still exists, but it doesn't actually do much as a government. They still do have a space program, but one guy who is running for President Donner, he wants to dismantle the program. And Lauren is really against it. And her dad is in favor of it because he says, like, that's just so much money going to waste. Yeah, there's people down here starving. We don't need to be in space. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Sounds kind of, you know, reminiscent of a lot of things that happen these days. Yeah. Donner sounds a little bit like Donald. Yeah. And I mean, some of the things in the platform are Trumpy, which is why I think the book made a huge comeback. Part of why. Apart from the fact that we're, like, closing in on 2024. So that's kind of just the opening into this. So, you know, it it sounds pretty bleak from the beginning, but honestly, it just gets bleaker. So there's a lot of racism in the world. The particular town they live in is multiracial. And they say, like, 
because there are so few people in town, they basically can't be racist, but there are a couple people who are anyway. Yeah. But like outside of the town, if you have a friend or a partner of another race, that makes you a target. The book is taking place in uh, Lauren's diary entry. So she's writing kind of like a diary, kind of like a religious text as she's forming her ideas. So it's interspersed with bits of the gospel that she's writing, which she calls the book of the living. Yeah. But the interesting thing about the format to me is that it's similar to The Handmaid's Tale where you know that the main character survives because you're reading a text written by them about the events happening in the book. And like Catcher in the Rye. (laughs) Yeah. It's written in the first person. I don't know many books written in the first person where the first person narrator dies during the book. Well, you know she survives for a while because she's got her her gospel is interspersed. And you'd think like if she didn't survive long enough to make this religion into Mm -hmm. a big deal, we wouldn't have this. So she has many notebooks that she keeps where she like writes the gospel of Earthseed. And then she has other notebooks where she writes down just like her day's events and then she kind of intersperses them. Mm -hmm. The bit that you heard Theo read at the beginning was basically the first tenet of Earthseed, Mm -hmm. the most important part of it, right, Rachel? Yeah. God is change. You change things, they change you back. Theo's interested. He wants to become an Earthseedian. (laughs) Holden Caulfield would hate it. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. What a phony. Yeah. We'll talk more about what that means. I would love for Lauren to meet Holden Caulfield. Oh my gosh, that would (laughs) be a great mashup. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This is a really good book. But one thing I that kept pulling me out of the book was I was like, this is a 15 to 17-year-old girl. Right, she's perfect. She Somebody called the book like a Bildungsroman, but it's not really. She doesn't really learn very much. It's just her writing down more of this gospel. She never changes. But God has changed. She doesn't change that. <laughs> That's funny. She discovers new things she's able to do. Like she learns, oh, I can kill a person. But she's not like realizing she was wrong about anything. It seems like the entire book, she just keeps having it confirmed that she was right, right, right. And everyone is always listening to her and... Well, at first they don't want to listen to her and yeah, then she gets proven right and... It's just, to me, I'm like, she's a 15-year-old girl and she's decided she's coming up with a religion. I'm kind of thinking I wouldn't buy it. (laughs) And I don't know if this was like a stylistic choice or if this means something more than what it seems to mean, but I also have the whole time been waiting for her to like make a mistake yeah. or have a flaw and she doesn't. Yeah, maybe that's what the third book was going to be. A <laughs> parable of the a flaws. Lot. A lot yeah. of flaws. <laughs> I mean, she talks about her sharing her hyper-empathy as a weakness and something that can damage her, but she has no character flaws, really. Right. Um, and it doesn't really matter what the subject is. It's If it's like shooting in target practice or if it's like gun handling. She's the best. Yeah. Yeah, she says she has to have basically perfect aim because if she doesn't kill something immediately, she would be, you know, disabled by the pain she was in. Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. That's tricky. The chosen heaven that she imagines is is space, like not necessarily a planet nearby, but like the destiny of Earthseed is to move out to space. And right now she's just a 15-year-old girl living in this town and she can't do anything about that, but she's forming this idea. Reminded me, when I was little, I wrote, this is what I told Rachel, I wrote a sci-fi story when I was like nine. Mm -hmm. Go on. It was not because I saw a movie and I thought I could do it better, Mm -hmm. but the story was called Red Planet, and I thought I was so creative because it was like the earth died basically exactly like this. The earth like got too hot. Nobody could live there anymore. We had to move to Mars, Mm -hmm. and people were living in these like um, glass domes 
And outside, Mars is just like Mars. Like, it's not changed at all. It's just like this dusty, dry, cold red planet. Everybody's living in these, like, hyper-futuristic space bubbles. Mm. I could put this on Theo's other podcast, right? Mm. We'll see how good it is. (laughs) (laughs) Tell them a little more about the space bubbles. Anyway, so they're all living there. They've made it off of of Earth. They've made it to Mars. They've made it habitable. They're thriving. And the character talks about how she has heard of this magical substance that used to be called ice Ah. and that is when it was cold enough for water to freeze Uh that doesn't happen anymore but they're on mars yeah but they're on mars like (laughs) it's like very cold they haven't figured out refrigeration like (laughs) (laughs) but she just keeps talking about like i then my parents tell of this substance (laughs) that used to be cold and like nothing i'm just like what was i thinking that's pretty funny <laughs> like the most simple things they just haven't managed to recreate <laughs> <laughs> did either of you yeah. ever read any little sci-fi stories when you were little oh uh, i did uh, various I yeah guess. wait but before we before we move on you said you were you thought you were like nine years old mm-hmm. you were born in 1991 mm-hmm. so where are you going with this <laughs> when you look up red planet uh-oh jackie i probably copied it from something right red planet is a 2000 science fiction thriller film oh he got you so you think Same I saw year. that movie? <laughs> I think you saw the title of that I movie. I may have. Yeah, I don't know. What if you were just describing that movie to us and you were like, hoping we wouldn't have heard of it? And the whole movie is about a little girl who's like, wow, ice. <laughs> no, that would be a stupid movie. <laughs> no, I think, no, I used to I used to read a lot about space and I just thought like, oh, oh, that'll be a good title. Yeah, I'll steal that title from that movie. Yeah. <laughs> that was that was my best try. I didn't become Octavia E. Butler, okay? Yeah, I guess you didn't. You still have time. Yeah, I don't know. I probably wrote some sci-fi i guess you'll just have to listen to my podcast with joseph i I guess i will oh i can tell you one thing in sixth grade in our science class we had to do a project i said that we should all just take all of our garbage and compact it into spheres and shoot them into space to make extra moons around earth that we can then pop okay people have thought of that idea before but it does not come with the goal of creating extra moons like the goal is just to get (laughs) rid of the garbage well no and then to populate the moons (laughs) to live on the garbage moons. part of my reason for doing it was because i had this program that i could use to make like 3d images Mm -hmm. but spheres were like the easiest things to make because it was like one of the basic objects you got so Mm -hmm. i was like oh i can show off that i can use this 3d image program to my teacher but i was just making spheres on a black background and you said these imagine these are made up of garbage (laughs) yeah (laughs) we live there i feel like you were so close to doing something impressive you were like i have a program and i'm a kid and look what i created with this code and then you're like and also they're trash (laughs) yeah it's literal garbage (laughs) like you didn't have to add that (laughs) okay so we're moving along it's 2025 and we get a little bit more insight into like the other people living in the neighborhood Mm -hmm. stuff is starting to go wrong wronger wronger right there's a a little three-year-old girl named amy and she starts a fire and because she's unsupervised yeah she's unsupervised family just like has no energy to keep to look after her and doesn't seem to care right her. her mom doesn't really feel that attached to her so she's kind of just wandering around a lot by herself she starts a fire by accident this is where we learn that like if you call the fire department they're going to charge you a bunch of money so the community has this whole plan to like put out fires by themselves there's an empty house in the neighborhood and relatives of the woman who died there decide to move in and these are kind of like racist people so Mm-mm. it's like a white family that moves in and they like accuse lauren's family of having stolen stuff from the house before they got there oh, seriously yeah 
Start in trouble already. Well, they're not really in trouble. The new people don't have any power, but no. we don't like them. This is the chapter where we see that Lauren is good at she's good at shooting. And also we see that her younger brother Keith, the one who pretended that he had a wound, he's showing some signs of being a little bloodthirsty. He's twelve now. They don't let the kids go out to do target practice till they're fifteen. So he has to wait and he's very upset about that. Yeah, he really wants to shoot things. He's obsessed. Mm. And we see that so we learn because meat is so expensive and precious, only super, super rich people have dogs. So every time you see a dog, you're in danger. They're not pets anymore, yeah. they're like threats. And Lauren ends up having to kill a a dog in this chapter and she realizes she is able to kill something but it hurts her a lot to do it probably uh, well the dog actually someone shot the dog and they thought it was it was dying but not dead and she like puts it out of its misery and that's mm. i guess that's okay so then after that it hasn't rained for six years but it starts raining a lot oh nino the little girl who accidentally started the fire is killed because someone shoots through the gate that's like the big gate that uh you know protects them from the outside world yeah. it was just like a random thing and it killed her Jeez. and the family ends up paying the money to have the cops look into it even though everyone knows nothing's gonna happen and that they didn't care about the little girl when she was alive lauren thinks that they're doing it to kind of make themselves feel better that they didn't pay attention to yeah her. i think there's a lot of guilt there eventually the, the little girl's mom goes missing she's never seen again Popping in, uh, we thought maybe we should insert a little more extra stuff into the episode, uh, a little extra conversation. So we all wrote our own parables, and we're going to read them to each other and discuss them. What is a parable, Rachel? A story <laughs> that teaches a lesson. Normally, it refers to the ones that Jesus told in the Bible, but we didn't do that. We're telling him this time. He's had enough. It's our turn. <laughs> It's time we expand the canon of parables. Yes. It's time we stop listening to Jesus and start listening to us. Yeah. Mm. Are you saying we're bigger than Jesus? We're bigger than the Beatles, that's for sure. So to do without what you will. Oh. So by the transitive property. <laughs> yeah, we thought some parables would kind of help us to understand what's going on in uh, in the book. In the parable of the sower. Yeah. And we thought it would help you guys to enjoy this episode more because the book is Bleak. real serious. Yeah. Real serious. Sometimes you need a good laugh, and that's what parables are for. <laughs> yeah, it's a story designed to make you chuckle. To teach a lesson yeah. and give you a little laugh along the way. So none of us have read each other's parables. We have no idea what they're about. I have a suspicion. I have a strong suspicion that we may have written very similar parables, so we'll just see how this goes. At least yeah. two of us. Really? How do you... I, I just have... Think... I, me and Rachel, I just know. We're a Lorax. So I'm going to insert each parable at some point in the episode, so you're not going to get them all at once audience okay that's fine <laughs> okay so my parable is called the parable of dave <laughs> yep that's mine too <laughs> okay go ahead Theo. here we go <laughs> we're gonna be inside the mind of an adult genius <laughs> inside the mind of an adult child <laughs> <laughs> explain that reference theo uh it's uh, not to not to plug too often but it is my other podcast with joseph um make sure you listen on the 1th the 10th and the 20th of the month the one, the month of the month. Mm -hmm. Joseph is his cousin, by the way. Not everyone knows him. <laughs> I know that he just keeps saying Joseph as though like he's just a universally known and beloved character. <laughs> he will be. All and right. the podcast is called Inside the Mind of a Child Genius. You didn't say the name. You just said yeah. when to listen. Oh, yeah. And it's also uh, it's not going to be released, I think, by the time this episode comes out. But next one, I think it's going to be. There. Theo, some guy and the household name Joseph. Yeah. All right. The Parable of Dave. At the first of the season, Dave went to the farmer. 
The farmer was growing crops of mixed varieties, and Dave smashed them. The farmer took issue with the smashing previously discussed and shooed Dave away. By this time, the season had reached its zenith. Dave went to the horse keeper and asked to look upon the horses. Dang, G-R-E word. Horsekeeper. He was, that's the G-R-E word. Okay, so Dave went to the horse keeper and asked to look upon the horses. He once again smashed, this time destroying the horse cages, which in turn freed the horses. The horse keeper, named Jason, wailed with fury, shooing David away. Oh, shooing Dave away. Sorry. <laughs> He's a good friend. Long after the season had passed, Dave trudged through the snow, got lost, and could not retrace his footsteps. He came upon the cake maker, whose two (laughs) daughters were discussing literature. Mm -hmm. And I included that part uh, so I could pass the Bechtel test. His two daughters are what? Discussing literature. (laughs) Discussing literature. No, they have to have have lines. (laughs) Oh, well, nobody has lines. Okay. It's implied that they're having dialogue. Okay. Pat the O on the back for that Bechtel test. Passing the Bechtel test. Nice. (laughs) Pat him on the jack. (laughs) All right. So now they're the cake maker. And then Dave smashed all that he could see (laughs) to the delight of the cake maker. For it was not the smashing that had bothered and irritated his former friends. It was the incompleteness of our protagonist's smashing. The parable ends here. Those who have ears to hear, hear my words, and they shall should heed. They shall should heed. (laughs) Yeah. So I need to add those who have ears, let them hear, I think. Yeah, we need to put that in all of ours. Not fair, not fair. I No, that's mine. (laughs) That's Jesus's. You have to come up with a different organ. (laughs) Those who have livers, let them process. (laughs) (laughs) Those who have stomachs, let them rumble. I had a lot of trouble parsing this story that Theo just wrote from the stories that Theo wrote as a child. Yeah, I think he might have just repurposed it. Is that true? No, I didn't repurpose This seems like something a child. (laughs) (laughs) An adult child, yeah. Theo, I didn't understand that at all. What do you mean? The point is, if you're going to smash, smash it all and people will love it. Yeah. If you're going to do something, do it 100%. The point is also, things are not always what they seem. Like, you might have thought, oh, these people just don't like smashing. It's actually, they didn't like the incompleteness of the smashing. Yeah. Okay. So, So if Dave had smashed the entire horse stable into atoms, basically, yeah, everything would have been fine. So, this is the chapter where we meet... Uh, Lauren's best friend Joanne so Joanne is white Lauren is black but they get along really well and like I said most people in the neighborhood get along anyway they get in an argument about survival kind of so Lauren decides to share some of her thoughts with Joanne thinking I can trust her Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and she tells her look things are only going to get worse like I know you don't really want to think about that but it's the truth that we have to start preparing now while we still have time in order to be able to live on the outside and Joanne is like I don't know I mean you don't really know any of that stuff will happen like what's the point in worrying about it if we can't change anything she says read every book you can with practical information and start making a go bag and setting aside supplies and all this other stuff yeah like start talking to people and getting people ready because we're not going to be able to live in this walled neighborhood forever and joanne's kind of freaked out but she like takes the book that lauren gives her about like herbs and yeah local plant stuff but unfortunately joanne's a snitch and she tells her mom about it and lauren is furious because lauren or joanne's mom goes to lauren's dad and says your girl is going around scaring people with these crazy ideas Mm -hmm. and so her dad kind of lectures her a little bit and it's not that he 
he doesn't necessarily agree with her, but he says the way that you went about it wasn't the right way because you're scaring people. You just freaked her out, yeah. Mm. You don't want to freak people out. You want to, like, draw them in a little bit first and then give them information. <laughs> like religion or not? Yeah, maybe. maybe. Maybe his approach to religion. You know, what? what is he saying? You tried to sow some seeds where the ground was not ready to receive it, yep. right? Thorny gr- soil. Oh, yeah, thorny soil. And then Lauren says, I thought I could trust her. I can't trust yeah. her anymore. Their friendship ruined, like Lizzie ruined. and Charlotte. Oh, Charlotte. Even more ruined than that, I yeah. think. <laughs> um, so now thieves are starting to break in. Like I said, their gate has been breached at least once. Thieves are breaking in and just stealing food from the garden. Right. And so Lauren's dad and her stepmom, who's named Corey, which is short for Corazon, um, they have an argument about whether it's okay to shoot the thieves when they're stealing food. Who says what? The dad says, we have to do this. We have to feed our families. We can't just let people steal our food or we will also die. And Corey says, you're going to shoot people for stealing tangerines? They both kind of have a point. But in this case, they don't have enough food that they are able to set food aside for the future, really. They, you know, the margins are very thin, even for the people in this town. No, they're living on like fruits and nuts and acorns. Basically, they use acorns. And they're able to trade for some things sometimes. But yeah. I mean, she's got a nice vegetable garden, Corey does. Um, So they have a little argument about that. They start a neighborhood watch. People are starting to come in more and more now. They come in and steal some rabbits. Lauren's thinking this this is just going to keep getting worse and worse. So then she shares some of her thoughts about Earthseed with us. There's a little bit more, you know, conversation within the family about guns and preparation. Keith still wants a gun and the dad still turns him down. Really, really wants and it. And the president has gotten rid of the space program. She meets up with her boyfriend, Curtis. They do their little thing that they do on the sacks. In the shack. Sack shack. Wait, what are you talking about? <laughs> no, great, Jackie. Now we have to explain to Theo. <laughs> it's it's sextus. It has, this is where sextus comes in. Yeah. And Lauren is very, very, very careful about um, birth control, like unlike anyone else in the neighborhood, I guess. Like she has condoms and she uses them. She talks about that a fair amount, actually, hmm. because she does not want to bring a child into this world. And she said she would... Healthcare is non-existent, so it's very da- dangerous to be pregnant. Curtis says she, you know, just just marry me. He says, you're getting ready to leave. I can tell there's something different about you. And she's like, yeah, I am getting ready to leave. And he said, let me come with you. We'll get married. We'll, yeah. you know, we'll, we'll do what we can. She says, I would rather kill myself than marry him and bring children into poverty and violence. Yeah, she, she does think like, you know, oh, if he came with me, well, I don't know, it'd probably be easier for one person to survive. So this is when Keith really starts to become a problem. Keith sneaks out of the neighborhood. Outside, he takes his mom's key to the gate, but he gets beat up and uh, the five men who beat him steal everything. So they steal his clothes and shoes and the key. After he's outside. Yeah. After he's outside. Yeah. Oh, but it's wow, a huge deal bad. because like stealing shoes. Shoes are hard to come by. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's hard to come by. And they took the key. So they have to change all the locks on the gate. And his dad makes him like do this big public confession at church. church and he really, really hates it and resents it. But they decide when he's 13, they're going to give him a BB gun for his birthday. Bad idea. Yeah. He disappears for about four days. The dad goes to look for him. They can't find him anywhere. The mom really lashes out. Yeah. Mom lashes out and says, if this was your precious Lauren out there, you would have tried harder. And Lauren gets from that that, oh, she doesn't really think of me as her real daughter. Like, Keith is her real son. And Lauren always thought of Corey as her real mom, like, not as a stepmom. But yeah. And the dad tries to say, oh, you know, she didn't mean it, but Lauren knows that she did. Maybe she didn't mean to say it. She yeah. felt it. I don't know. Yeah, I didn't really get it like that. I feel like maybe you could just have a favorite kid. Doesn't mean that. Wait, so then so then Lauren saw her stepmom 
act like Lauren wasn't really her daughter. So, then so you're trying Lauren, to say then she had a feeling that I'm not really that I'm not really my own daughter. I'm not really my own daughter, <laughs> but yeah. I am my own grandpa. Yeah. <laughs> See, this is where the emotion part gets really tricky. I don't think we can bring that into it. Um, oh, okay. So, but eventually Keith does return. Again, he's only 13. He this time he has new clothes and new shoes, and they're really nice. And everybody's like, "Uh, what did he do to yeah. get those?" Yeah, I don't know about that. So his dad. Um, um, severely punishes him. Lauren feels that. Like, beats him. Yeah. Smashes his gun, beats him. Keith disappears again, and this time, Dad doesn't look for him. And Lauren sees it. She sees mm-hmm. the beating, and it makes her... Like, she crawls outside and gets sick, and her other yeah. brothers have to, like, bring her inside. Wow. He does come back every once in a while. He'll he'll come back and, like, bring a big wad of cash and give it to his mom. And Yeah, but he doesn't live at home anymore, basically. No. So now it's 2026, and Keith comes home from outside, and Lauren talks about how, like, she hates Keith basically like he's destroying the family like Corey and dad are now like having troubles in their marriage and her and Corey's relationship is not the same and Keith is endangering everybody but so he comes home and they talk a little bit and he tells her a little bit of what he's doing to get money and he says that he is living with some people who are a lot of people in this in this time are not like uh, literate or mm-hmm. they're not able to read or write so he is and he lives with them and he basically just reads things for them yeah he's their reading guy yeah like they're always stealing complicated technology and stuff oh. they don't know how to use it or put it together or really do anything because they can't read any instructions so Keith does that for them and that's all that's what he says he does you two are big readers you'd be highly <laughs> prized in this society uh, um, I don't know if I would would want to try it out though and we only have three years for everyone else to become illiterate and then yeah. we can really <laughs> oh yeah that's yeah, a good this thing it's gonna be great that makes me feel more hopeful i don't think most people could become illiterate in three years so i think we're doing better than uh butler thought Thea, we what, might be <laughs> Thea, what would your skill be in this world music traveling bard yeah oh, gosh. <laughs> you don't want to travel anywhere <laughs> he would be killed instantly sorry Theo. excuse me squeeze me <laughs> it's true i didn't say it you said it before i know but i don't want to become consistently jar jar the squeeze me guy <laughs> i think that myself all the time whenever i i think excuse me or i hear someone say it i think excuse me because Theo. <laughs> Yeah, because it was so memorable. (laughs) He tells her about, okay, one of the drugs we had mentioned before is that there's some kind of drug people take. And if you take it, it makes you want, it makes you want to set fires because apparently watching a fire while you're on this drug is more pleasurable than anything you could imagine. Mm. So that's why fires have been starting, which is terrible because they're not only in California, but it's drier than it has ever been. So the fires are like becoming very dangerous and keith tells her there are people out there who like paint themselves crazy colors and shave their heads bald and just take this drug and burn everything so one thing i actually really like about this is that those people say that they're doing that because it's like rebellion it's eat the rich it's take the means of production it's in lauren's perspective they're just people who get high and paint themselves and destroy other people's hard work they're berserkers and again it's like they're not actually that wealthy. They certainly are wealthy compared to the people on the outside. They have subsistence livings, basically. Right. I don't know. So I just think it's interesting. Like, there's no sympathy for these people. But I thought he said the the people on the drugs were actually, like, kidnapping actual wealthy people. But not just people, like, 
in Lauren's level of income, but actually rich people who are hoarding wealth that they do kidnap them and set them on fire. Wow. Yeah. It seems like yeah. it must be like a they actually get an amazing sensation out of seeing fire. Yes, they do. It says, I mean, there's some very graphic language in there, but it, they talk about how it's... It's not just like people who get high and watch some... Like, like a nature documentary? Yeah, it's not just like that. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, no, no. It, it's, not, it's not like just eating a Cheeto or something. Like, no, they, I mean, they literally say things like it looks like they're f***ing the fire like Ugh. i don't want i wow. probably don't put that in the podcast they're but they say it. stuff like that yeah oh yeah they're bleeping the fire they're bleeping the bleep. no it's an actual sensation yep um that's interesting i like that idea oh no <laughs> well, i like that somebody came up oh, with that okay. idea you're for not like, like i'd I don't like to like, try pyro like, yeah <laughs> the guy who doesn't even drink coffee <laughs> wants to try pyro <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Well, I'm just waiting for the right drug, you know? <laughs> yeah. There hasn't been a crazy enough drug to come out yet. <laughs> yeah, come on. Yeah. PCP, that's boring. I'm waiting for pyro. pyro. Eh. I don't know. I just think that's interesting. Like, there's never any perspective given to those people. Maybe book two. Who knows? <laughs> also, I'll be totally honest. I haven't finished book one. Ah! I'm very close to the end. Yeah, what if um, the last like whole chapter is written from the perspective of pyro addicts? Is written from the point of view of a paint. They call them paints. Or the perspective of a fire. Ooh. <laughs> a oh. fire that someone on pyro is watching. Here I am again. Yeah. <laughs> someone has just created me. <laughs> yeah. Oh, God, it's one of these people again. <laughs> I have a headache. Leave me alone. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> okay. Um, Bad touch. Ugh. Was that the right thing to say? Sorry, go ahead. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you ready? I think you're going to like this. Oh, I'm so scared it's going to be like mine, and then mine's going to come last, and then it's not going to be good. I can always edit yours before. <laughs> what? But then mine would <laughs> be <you>. last. <laughs> no, he already promised. Let's but go. Rachel, you didn't seem worried about it. Well, now I am. Oh, shit. Shit. No, you've made everyone happy. <laughs> okay. You ready? Mm -hmm. What's the title? It's called The Parable of the Bee in the Wind. Oh. <laughs> oh, my cute. God. Wait, do we need context for that? Wait, what, what does that refer to? You're just a bee in the wind. Fill <laughs> up good wait, wait, wait. wait, are you going to give context in the parable? Or do I need to explain? No, you're, because remember, the song is referencing this parable. <laughs> okay, sure. Go ahead. I'll explain the story. After. Here's the parable. I thought for sure everyone would write parables of the bee in the wind. What? I didn't remember that at all. I don't think we've talked about that in years. And it wasn't even like our inside joke. It was mine with a different friend. No, we of have talked we about it a lot. And Jackie and I have told other people about your prank. What prank? Literally not. Go ahead. Yes, we have. You wouldn't know. Here we go. Once there was a bee that lived in a hive in the middle of a beautiful meadow. She was a very hard worker and always found the most efficient route to fly to the flowers with the most pollen. Every night she slept sweetly, tucked snugly next to her softly buzzing sisters, dreaming of the hard work she would do the next day. One morning, she poked her fuzzy face out the door of the hive, only to discover that a breeze was blowing. She started off on her rounds, but found herself struggling to get to where she wanted to go. The wind blew harder. The little bee moved her wings faster and faster, only to discover that she could just about stay in place. Dejected, she stilled her wings and bowed her head in despair, letting the wind take her where it would. 
All of a sudden, she realized that she was being blown towards a likely-looking flower and reached out her six legs to grab hold of a petal. Did you Google how many legs they have, or did you just know that? I know how many legs a bee has. (laughs) They're insects. Weird flex, but okay. What? All insects have six legs. Yeah. Unless they've lost a leg. Not centipedes. Centipedes. Not an insect. Insects are not centipedes. Centipedes are not insects. (laughs) You mean centipedes are not insects. (laughs) It goes both ways. (laughs) On the Venn diagram, they are not, yeah, yeah, they're not intersecting. Yeah, it's just two circles. (laughs) Okay. Well, I'm really glad we took that aside. Go ahead. All right. She reached out her six legs to grab hold of a petal. She took a little taste and found that the nectar was sweet and fresh. Okay. Experimentally, she jumped in the air to see where the wind wanted to take her and found herself at another beautiful bloom. The little bee spent the rest of her day thusly, and when the air stilled in the evening, she flew back home, panniers stuffed to bursting with gold. Sometimes in life, you spend more energy trying to achieve the goal you think you want when you need to just lean back and relax and let the wind take you. You might find that you like the destination. Wow. Those who have ears, (laughs) let them hear. That's good. (laughs) That was actually very touching. Yeah, the lesson is almost as good as the one that I did. Yeah, so Rachel's lesson is sometimes you need to be flexible and let life take you where it takes you, and Theo's lesson is smash all the way. (laughs) (laughs) If you're going to smash. If you're going to smash, smash big. Smash everything. (laughs) Smash it to totality. Because some people like that. (laughs) They all would have. Oh, Oh my gosh, you didn't understand. Okay. Well, I'm relieved. That's nothing like mine. Okay, explain the background. Yeah, so the story is my sophomore year of high school in English class, we had to learn all of these idioms. We would learn one each class and then we would have quizzes on them. So while my friend Philip was out of town or maybe sick or something, my (laughs) other friend Carter and I took his little journal where he was writing all of these things and we were pretending like we were going to help him by, you know, writing down the idioms while he was away so he would have them when he came back but then we just made up some and Mm -hmm. one of them was bee in the wind i don't remember really what it was but it had something to do with the mongolian bee migration which we made up and then what was the the lesson supposed to be what did the idiom mean you could have talked about murder hornets if you'd been ahead of your time (laughs) if i had been ahead of my time i could have talked about (laughs) darn i don't think we made it clear what the idiom was supposed to mean i think we just gave some ridiculous backstory behind it we didn't say like how do you use it and that's why philip took his journal up to the teacher and was like (laughs) So what is the bee in the wind? I don't know this (laughs) (laughs) So you just said the origin, but not the meaning of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So he could say like, wow, I really feel like a bee in the wind today, but he wouldn't know the meaning. Yeah. But now he knows. Yeah, if he had crippling social anxiety and he couldn't admit that he didn't know what it meant and he started (laughs) just trying to work it in to different conversations, seeing (laughs) if it would fit. Do you ever feel like a bee in the wind? And if someone says yes, say, explain, (laughs) expand on that. How does that feel? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. In which scenarios? Oh, man. My mom is being such a bee in the wind today. (laughs) But now he knows what it means. If you ever listen to this podcast. That's not fair. You just totally commandeered that inside joke that I had with Philip. I'm so Now it's everyone's inside joke. (laughs) I know. It's an outside joke. I'm so hurt. But it's it's an inside joke to people who listen to our podcast. That's good, right? Oh, yeah. It's like a cat. Like, it's an indoor-outdoor joke. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. I see, Jackie, that's the sort of cat material I want from you. And fewer, like, cats yelling into the microphone. Okay, that hasn't happened in a really... Less purring on my... 
Mike. Well, that just happened today, but the yelling hasn't happened in a long time. Do you remember the time when there was the cat in the closet with her, and then <laughs> we were like, "You got to put that cat out the out of the closet." And then she was like, she like went off camera and and like opened the door and closed it or something, and then sat back down, and then we saw the cat in the background again. So it was like she didn't actually move it out of the closet. <laughs> she just pretended. No, I I'm sure and she I was did. Like, it. Oh, it got back in here somehow, but <laughs> you closed the door. Well, no, my closet door doesn't close. It can't close. What really happened was Jackie whispered to the cat, you gotta stay off camera or else you can't stay in here. <laughs> I think I also tried to deny that the cat was in the closet, even though you clearly saw it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you took us for fools. So now we're about to have a big downer. There's a, an entry in the diary, diary and it just says, today Corey and dad had to go downtown to identify Keith's body. Yeah. Oof. He didn't make it out there very long. He'd been horribly, horribly tortured yeah. and killed and set on fire. It's horrible. But Lauren does say something like, she's pretty sure that Keith was a sociopath and a monster, but that, you know, he was her brother and she wouldn't have done anything to stop him and that the people who killed him were like, bigger monsters than he was but that if he had survived mm -hmm. he would have done horrible things hmm. yeah he probably would have gone on to do terrible things even more terrible things well anyone's a sociopath compared to her <sighs> yeah although lauren to be honest her empathy in terms of other people's perspectives is a little bit lacking yeah she really doesn't ever give anybody credit for their thoughts or think that they might have a point <laughs> It's all about shooting people and dogs. And stuff. Maybe. I think also part of it is just being 15. And I think when you're 15, sorry, dad, I guess you were right. When you're 15, <laughs> like you always think that you're correct, right? Like, <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Gosh, I had a lot of great opinions when I was 15. Whatever happened to this? <laughs> I know. If only I had. I hated me and Jackie. <laughs> <laughs> When you're 15, you always think those girls are fucking weirdos. I shouldn't know them. Yeah, plucking out their eyes. <laughs> okay, so things are going on. Lauren is 17, and things are getting worse and worse in the neighborhood. More people are breaking in and stealing stuff. And Lauren, when she turns 18, she's going to leave the town and try to make it out there. Nice. There's a town being built kind of nearby by a company uh, called Olivar. So I think, well, that was always the name of the town, but somebody has bought Olivar. It's a company and they're like recruiting people to join it like a business because right. uh, it is. And they don't pay you as much, but you get like safety and a place to live, but also like you're buying your food from them at jacked up prices. So it's, it is a company town. Wow. Right. Like you are serving them and your yeah. entire existence is basically subsidized by them. Right. Her stepmom Corey wants to go the dad says no it's you know it's legalized slavery that's a new form of slavery right. that kind of thing but some people in the neighborhood do decide to go especially the white families so joanne's family her best friend decides that they're gonna try they get accepted but joanne's boyfriend harry will not go so harry becomes an important character right now he's just joanne's boyfriend but he's like no i think the same way as your dad it's a trap lauren's dad goes missing so he goes to work. He's a professor at a college also, in addition to being a minister. This is like they talk about like, oh, maybe I should apply to college or, you know, yeah. maybe there's no point in applying because I won't be able to afford it. What is college even for in this world? Um, I mean, there's still a lot of rich people, right? And I guess the idea is that if you're able <laughs> to go to college, you can you might be able to gain a foothold and. In a yeah. career that will pay. I guess this... I mean, they still have doctors and things. They do, but this world just seems so out of control that I 
I have trouble imagining any existence, no matter how much money you have, being anything close to normal. Right. I don't think we've even seen anyone who could be called middle class. I don't know if there is a middle class mm-hmm. or if there is, but it's just shrinking, shrinking, shrinking. Mm-hmm. But there are certainly wealthy people with a lot of money. So here's my question. Are we living in some sort of like small approximation of this now where like we're wealthy or we're middle class and we're like, well, you know, if people were really living outside and setting fires and killing anyone who goes past, certainly we would know about that and we would care and we would do something, right? They know that it's happening. <laughs> like, we're not at the point of the book. No, no, no. But what if what if the idea is, like, there's some segment of, of the society that is able to live more or less normally and just turn a blind eye to what else is happening? Uh, I mean, we are, America is doing that on a global right. scale. Like, there are right. people who live in these, you know, company towns who live, like, in apartments that the factory they work for rents and they share the apartment so they get like a few square feet of floor Mm -hmm. and like there are children who get a slave wage to build tennis shoes like that's what we're doing but as a country not within the country Mm -hmm. but anyway so dad's a professor at a college and he's riding his bike home one day and he never comes back they go outside the walls to try to find him they never do they're finding things that they think could be him or might not be. But they're not sure. Wait, the college is outside the walls? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, that seems dangerous. It is. Yeah, clearly. <laughs> <laughs> no, so it's like he's lucky to have a job, and they always talk about that because most people cannot get jobs, but um, right. it's dangerous to have to go outside. So anyway, they never find him, and they um, they hold church services, and eventually they kind of hold like a, a funeral even though they never found him. Oh my gosh, I'm feeling trapped. Yeah, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's hard to read this and not think about, like, when are we going to get there, right? Because so much of this (laughs) is coming true. (laughs) It's it's hard not to feel like, huh, this is the future. Stressful, (laughs) yeah. I mean, how talented is is Octavia E. Butler for doing this, right? Like, in 1993, think about that. She said she she wrote this book to look at what was going on in the U.S. and thinking, if things continue like this, what might the country look like in 30 years? Mm. Which is interesting that she did that in the early 90s because weren't people quite prosperous then? Yeah, we were loving it. We were loving it. I hear it was great. (laughs) But she knew. Yeah. This was around the corner. The family, because the dad disappeared and they don't have his body, they the bank will not give them his money. Uh, they won't release like it to his them. insurance. So they have to wait like seven years or something. And in that time, they, Lauren says like they they could have starved to death many times over. So they just can't mm-hmm. get the the insurance money or anything because of that. So they're in a tough spot. So uh, I think Corey takes a job and then Lauren starts taking over some more responsibilities that Corey used to do, which is like teaching kids in the town. So anyway, um, thieves break in on Christmas Eve. They light the house across the street from the Olamina family's house on fire, but that's actually just a distraction. So while the whole town is trying to put out the fire, the thieves go and rob the other houses. They kill a whole family in that fire and they also steal a lot of things from the Olamina house. Then it's 2027, and this is the diary entry where we start out, and we're finding out that um, the night before, the entire neighborhood had been burned, and almost everyone was killed, and she escapes, and she starts her life on the outside. She doesn't know if her family survived. She pretends to be a scavenger at one point and goes back to the town so that she can kind of pick around through the garden that's been trampled to find some food and get some clothes and shoes from her house. And she also... Her dad had buried money under a certain tree, so she went and found she that. She sneakily gets that money to take with her. Mm-hmm. She saw, like, Corey and her brothers running ahead and thinks they may have made it, but she's she's not sure at all. Sorry, I missed 
it. Did you say that it jumps to the year 2027? So she stops writing for a while. Um, Well, it was it was Christmas Eve 2026. Yeah, Uh, Yeah. there's not a chapter every day. So that's it's been 14 chapters over the space of three years. I see. So we started out when she was 15 and now she's 17 and she's almost 18, something like that. Yeah, her plan had been to wait till 18 and leave, but she's now being forced to leave. Let's stop there. So that's quite a cliffhanger, isn't it? audience (laughs) if you're feeling a little down i will give you a spoiler the ending of the book is they live happily ever (laughs) yes everyone's fine she finds her dad whatever it was all a dream Uh, no but the end (laughs) and she's rich the ending of the book is relatively hopeful like of course it was supposed to be part of a trilogy not everything is fixed but there is some good things do eventually happen. <laughs> so come back next week and listen to that. Yeah. And I mean, even though we have our, our criticisms of Lauren being like a perfect character with no flaws. It's a really good book. It's a really good like book. Like the writing is really yeah, good. Yeah, the writing's good. It it's really good. sucks you in. It's hard to stop reading. She's a great writer. It's just she's so inventive, but she's also so good at just predicting what's going to happen. And I like that there's a mixture of like these seemingly catastrophic dystopian things mm-hmm. like people running around setting fires pyro. yeah mixed with like the bank won't give them their insurance money like these right. sort of right like, like every day yeah. like yeah. things that happen now yeah yeah right <laughs> and, but they're all <laughs> compounding in, yeah. to make yeah, yeah this horrible situation that's kind of cool yeah, yep. she's really good. Um, I wish she had been able to write the third one. But apparently, so I saw that. So originally it was supposed to be a trilogy, but then she said, no, no, actually, I've realized I need to do seven books. Oh, gosh. So it's not that she didn't do the final book. She didn't do the final five books. Yeah. Then Lauren goes to Hogwarts. Yeah. <laughs> if only she'd been able to spare us <laughs> So in Theo's ideal, like, dream of this all wrapping up in a neat little bow, like, she wakes up, it's a dream, everybody's fine, she's rich, but Pyro still exists because he thinks that's really oh, cool yeah. and he wants to try it. <laughs> Let's write some fanfic of Theo and be like, time to try Pyro. I've never had a single sip of alcohol, but this is going to be fine. Yeah. I love the detail of Rachel rubbing her hands together. Ooh, today's the day they made Pyro. It's like you try it and you're like, uh, right now. Like, you don't, like, wait oh, to go get yeah. to the, the, the friction of the hands. Why is it fire? Does that mean something? Is that a symbol? I don't know if it was in the first part of the book or if it was later, but it does say that Pyro was supposed a scientist invented it. It was supposed to be for a particular purpose, but he made like one little mistake and it ended up being pyro. <laughs> That's actually pretty funny. <laughs> like, was it meant to be funny that she wrote it like that? Because uh, I, I haven't read it I don't yet. No, I don't know if it was meant to be funny. It's not like it's out of the ordinary, right? Like people, like LSD was discovered on like that. It's just funny that it's like, this was supposed to be some kind of painkiller, but I, I just did one little tweak and now it feels like having sex whenever you watch a fire. And you uh, are compelled to paint yourself weird colors and shave your head. This was supposed to be a decongestant, but. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like that's funny because it's also, it's a commentary on how complicated and just completely impossible to figure out our own brains are. Yeah, like, like it's not knows. that the drug you couldn't figure out. It's you couldn't figure out what it would do to us. Like we didn't know that we had that in us. It's interesting. Well, I, I do yeah. think that she said he made a mistake on the medication. It wasn't like we had no idea the medication would do this to us. The other doctor was mm-hmm. like, "Now whatever you do, 
don't put lithium in <laughs> yeah yeah i got it i got it as he's like pouring in a box of liquid. yeah 13 molecules but not 14 <laughs> <laughs> yeah. right there needs to be a double hydrogen bond here and if you put it on the other side all hell breaks yeah loose. the yeah. country will literally burn to the ground <laughs> yeah but he just like put the thing in upside down and, and that's everything yeah. that's funny because that's also like such a tiny 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 mistake compared to like the centuries and decades of huge mistakes leading up to it and then to just have it be like all that much worse because on top of everything else this scientist like fucked up mucinex mm-hmm. and now we have this <laughs> That's so funny yeah it was extra strength benadryl we tried extra extra but oh man <laughs> ruined the world just get the store brand just get the over the counter it's, it's the same thing there's literally nothing funny in this book is what I'm trying to say, but um, <laughs> it's a it's a really good read. It's a sobering read. Hmm. Would you say that? I'm just guessing. It's sobering. <laughs> it's also definitely very hopeful. I mean, because like Rachel said, you've got – I actually like the idea of Earthseed, of her religion, because it could definitely seem kind of culty or new agey, but – it's not. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to get into that in the next episode. I, I disagree with you saying it's not kind of culty. It is kind it of It definitely culty. is kind of culty. Right. But the things that she's saying make sense. Would I build a religion around it? No. Oh, Jackie, Theo's going to start taking pyro. Jackie's going to join a cult. <laughs> <laughs> and by the end of this, Rachel will have... Hyper empathy. <laughs> oh, I was thinking her company would purchase a town. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Uh, here's something yeah. I think is her interesting, company. though, is she discusses while she's writing her her religious text, she says, like, OK, so, you know, religion, it's the purpose is to do this. So you got to make it do blah, blah, blah. But like most of the religions that have stuck around, it seems like they kind of arrive at the things she's saying on accident. But she is literally from the ground up saying, I'm going to make a religion. She's planning People it. People need religion to help them do this. And the best ones give them this and that and the reason it has to be a religion instead of just a philosophy is blah 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 because they stick in your brain more and etc etc yeah somebody says why not just call it god instead of calling it change like why why not call why is change god instead of yeah And she says well it has to be god because otherwise people won't pay attention to it won't remember it they remember god if i tell you that change is God then important when something terrible yeah. like when you're going through something terrible oh. if it's a religion your mind goes to it right away mm-hmm. it's just very calculating so it's interesting to it's be very... in the mind of someone who is <laughs> calculating this stuff I think it's also interesting because obviously I've never started a cult I would like to try one day but I'm a little busy right now let's do it fire the canon cult yeah <laughs> fire the cult <laughs> no don't but you know I mean cult leaders they um they start this because they they want the power they want the followers they want the worship of themselves like they're doing it for like selfish reasons they want wealth that's why they're starting these kinds of things whereas lauren like doesn't think that she wants that stuff or do cult leaders start out like her do you think she says she's not coming up with the religion that she's discovering it Mm -hmm. figuring out how to put it into words i don't know yeah it's interesting it's very interesting. It would be mm-hmm. interesting if someone wrote a book with a similar concept, but the person ended up being like a villain. There you go. That's your book. <laughs> Which Lauren is not. <laughs> no, but I mean, I could see a twist where she becomes one easily. What if I made this strong female character a villain? Evil. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Are you ready for my parable? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Let's hear it. Okay. This is the parable of the youths. Long ago, there were three youths who had all been unlucky in love. 
<laughs> One day, after being sent away from their homes and families to attend boarding school, they found themselves surrounded by others who, in the carefree manner of those accustomed to easy admiration, paired off with one another as swiftly as youth is fleeting. Not wanting to be left out, the three friends decided to cast their lots in the game of love. The first youth found a match quickly, without much forethought involved. She wanted a date to the upcoming dance to be held in two weeks' time, and idly chose the one she found the prettiest. Her suitor was a retiring sort, who agreed to the partnership because he was too polite to decline. Their courtship, built on a foundation as shaky as a sapling in a wild winter wind, faltered as quickly as it began. They did not make it to the dance. The second youth had his eye on a fellow student at the school and befriended her, but it was not until after their curriculum ended that he allowed his intentions to become known. Shortly after parting ways, late-night messages between the two blossomed into a coupling. They lasted for some time, but the relationship was like a tender flower, alive while the sun is warm and the water plentiful, but ultimately not destined to withstand the onslaught of many seasons. They parted ways after a year or so. The third youth was cunning. <laughs> she observed the patterns of her friends and bided her time. A full year after leaving the school, she invited to her home a young man she'd made the acquaintance of during her time there. <laughs> he attended willingly. His hopes cannot have been hard to guess. For days, the two spent time as friends, eating and dancing and cavorting about town, and their friends joined in too. But no moves did she make then. Not even then. The young man left her home as single as when he'd arrived, but within him, an even greater admiration had grown. Like an insect in her web, he had been caught for good. They professed their love for one another soon after, and eventually, he loved her so much that he built her a website. <laughs> their story continues even now, more than a decade later. So it is with sandwich making. A hearty, sustaining sandwich will never be built on a base of the lightest angel's food cake. A nice multigrain might hold up for a few hours, but will become soggy over time. A dense, glutinous ciabatta will keep for many days. When making a sandwich, consider the lesson of the three youths, and if you learn well, no limpened lunches will you suffer from this day on. That's pretty clever. For those who have ears, let them hear. <laughs> That's pretty good. So yeah, you hear a story about love and you're like, here's what you need to learn. Use this bread on a sandwich. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well... Did you like that? Loved it. Maybe we should have started it with, like, I ask you, Jackie, how do I make a good sandwich? And then you then you tell the tale parable. of the youths. Hey, Jackie, in the meantime, how do you make a sandwich? <laughs> I, a man, am not sure. <laughs> oh, nice. Calling me out for never making my own sandwiches. Yeah. Okay, you guys didn't find that as funny as I thought you would. I thought it would be making you laugh. Well, you're kind of telling secrets from our past. <laughs> secrets? Yeah, how dare you? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I made everybody sound very good. I think it's good. You called Rachel cunning. I'm cunning. Yeah. You don't think? That's not a secret. <laughs> <laughs> well, if it's not a secret, maybe I'm not as cunning as I thought I was. It's as plain as day. <laughs> Pretty good. Cool. I thought the turn was very clever. Perhaps the cleverest of any of ours. The turn. The turn? Into the being a sandwich. The turn into <laughs> being a sandwich. 
But I think that mine had a sort of effortlessness to the writing that I think most people appreciate. Uh, I sure seemed effortless, yeah. (laughs) Right. Wow. (laughs) Seemed like no effort was put in at all. (laughs) Mine was effortless. Okay. God, Rachel's full of weird flexes today. (laughs) Yours was very pretty with all the the alliteration and everything. And Jackie had some beautiful imagery. And, but beautiful mine was sandwich like, imagery. Mine was like if you just, it's like you just won the lottery when you read if, it. It's like if you just vomit some it words. It feels like a classic fairy tale that you rediscovered. Yeah. <laughs> like it's always been a part of our culture. It's like an Igkins book. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. It's yeah. as classic as Igkins. Oh, many a night was I sung to sleep with the dulcet tones of Igkins. <laughs> and what I like about that is if you took all three of our parables, like didn't know who did them, it's clear, it's obvious which of us did which. You think? <laughs> like Rachel's is so Rachel. Oh yeah. You're always writing about like cute things. Yeah. Well, the bee in the wind, Theo came up with that. Yeah. It, no, it's completely obvious that's your writing. And I'm entitled to a third of yours, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> I had a hand in all of these. But uh-huh. Mine was totally original. I guess I owe Dave. Who's Dave? Is he a real guy? The guy in the parable. I know, but you owe, like, is he based on a real guy that you know? I changed his name, though. He's based on my friend David. <laughs> <laughs> that was pretty good. Do you think Stephen will like this parable, Rachel? Yeah, sure. The young man with design. He'll be like, damn it, I forgot I was still dating Rachel. Wait, am I the right kind of sandwich? So that's the book so far. What do you think, Theo? You're excited to come up with four more reasons to be excited? Oh, gosh. All right, come on. We've been talking for an hour. Now you need a fifth thought. I was trying to listen. I wasn't. You weren't thinking. I wasn't spending all that time coming up with a thought. (laughs) Well, that was your first mistake right there. Well, I'm kind of excited just to see kind of, I was always waiting for her to leave the town. I don't know if you mentioned she does that. We didn't tell him ahead of time that she was going to leave, I guess is what he Yeah, I don't think you did, but I was always thinking like, that's when the plot happens, is when she leaves, is what I was thinking. Pretty much, yeah. It's interesting that it seems like it's like halfway through the book at this point, right? So there's a lot of table setting. Yeah, it's pretty much right halfway through, and so what you've gotten is kind of like an introduction to why the world is the way it is and how bad it's and then it gets super bad and then it's like okay well she's out there and she's gotta start her shit now, now. she gets to start doing stuff which she's wanted to do the whole time right i didn't know she wanted to do stuff oh she wants to do stuff <laughs> stuff yeah i could see wanting to do things but <laughs> the first half of the book is three or four years the second half is less than a year yeah so she gets a lot done slows down it slows down but i think it's it's more interesting. Theo was interested in the first part, though. <laughs> no, I was too. I find this interesting, this book, and I find the summary of it interesting. Are you thinking you might want to read the book someday so far? Yeah, of course. Of course. You haven't said that for any of the other books. Well, I, in fact, the, for the Odyssey, you said, uh, I kind of got the gist. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that is something I want to bring up. Oh, no. Am I the only one who's going to be firing things around here? No. Because I fired the Odyssey, and I think that's the only thing we fired. <laughs> I have thought about that. I think we need to fire something. Well, we'll get there. I don't want to fire this yeah. one. <laughs> We're definitely not going to fire this <laughs> No, I'm going to fire this just based off of because... Because uh, you're a pyro. <laughs> or no, because you you did pyro. I'm a yeah. paint. She's a paint. Paints oh. do pyro. Well, other people. No, I'm just kidding. Do pyro. Yeah, I mean, at some point we'll probably fire things. Once we get to Hemingway, I'll be firing things left and right. I might fire the Great Gatsby. Who knows? Spoilers. I wonder why I gave up on trying to convince you two that we need to say whether or not we're going to fire it every episode. Probably because it never worked. Yeah, it doesn't make sense. (laughs) Because I originally wanted us to fire it by section that we go over. I wouldn't fire this section. You you like this section. I'd like that match be sort of enticed by it. Sexually intrigued. (laughs) Yeah. But then I'd eventually have to blow it out.
What were you saying? Your favorite something, Jackie? Say it. Say it, Jackie. Please. Oh, it's the moment's past. Say it, and then we'll stop the episode. Say it, and then we'll forget. (laughs) (laughs) That too. Um, Okay, so it was about Theo wanting to fire things like section by section. And I remember one of the favorite times that we made Rachel mad was in A Christmas Carol. Okay. Where Theo was like, yeah, I love that next chapter. Should we go there? And I was like, yeah. And Rachel was like, we haven't finished this chapter yet. That's one of your favorite (laughs) times you made me mad. (laughs) One of them. Probably like top 20. Top 20. (laughs) I just thought it was so funny because we were both like, yeah, let's just not finish talking about this just to get. And we were totally like sincere about that. Was it when you? You wanted to talk about the ghosts of Christmas future. You were just so excited. Yeah. Or something. We were like, wait, or let's just go the there. Christmas yeah. Present, past. One of those ghosts oh, you were man. excited about. I'm yeah. excited about this one thing that I remember from the book. Yeah. And then I would like keep trying to get us there. <laughs> yeah. And Rachel would say, spoilers. Spoilers. No, I don't do spoilers. You're the one who does spoilers. The definition of spoilers is when Jackie spoils something. Hey. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like cancel culture. <laughs> it only counts if someone on the left wing is canceling. Yeah. I really, hey, leave that in. My dad will like that. Yeah. Well, I'm making fun of people with that opinion. Oh, <laughs> Sorry, man. Dan. Oh, no. I'm always looking for ways to please my father in this podcast. <laughs> yeah, maybe my dad will be proud of me if I make a not particularly popular classical literature podcast. <laughs> like a nine listener. Yeah. No. Our solid nine. <laughs> I know that's not true. Think about it like this. Three of us, plus Steven, plus Frank and Elle. That's one person. Plus Seth, plus... Amanda Jane plus Emma. That's already nine. Plus my friend Luke. That's ten. My dad. Your cousin's wife. Everybody always forgets my dad. No, we we just talked about your dad. And Lee. Ang Lee. <laughs> Ang Lee. And that's incredible. Lee. <laughs> I would love it if he made a movie about our podcast. Our podcast. Yeah. Jackie, I swear. <laughs> the long halftime pod. He did the movie about Brokeback Mountain. Oh, right. He does superheroes. Yeah, he did Brokeback Mountain. No, he doesn't do superheroes. <laughs> oh, yeah. He does Titanic. That's why I said Jackie, I swear. <laughs> no, he didn't do Titanic. <laughs> Come on. That's funny to say Jackie, I it swear. It is funny. I just laughed about it. Okay. But I don't get it. That's the last line of Brokeback Mountain. When Jack, I swear. <laughs> really? Yeah. It's Jack? That's one of the, yeah. the gay men. Jack, yes. It's, it's pronounced Jake. No. What? No, no, that's the... Yeah, he suddenly is talking to his actor friend. Jake <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> wow, Jake, what a good movie we just filmed. But it was the best take, so they just had to go with it. And uh, we're out of money. We're out of money. We can't redo that. Jake. Yeah. Dang, this has been a great experience. <laughs> that would be great to have a totally serious movie, and then at the very end, the actor turns to the camera and, like, thanks the director. Thanks the audience. I hope you liked the movie. And then... <laughs> Like, the whole cast comes in, they join hands, and they all just, like, bow. Yeah, Yeah, that would be good. Uh, So what I want is more sound effects, right? I want... um, Jack, I swear. Yeah, that. And then I want a Muppet (laughs) chat. What we call it? Muppet chat intro music. I want a Muppet chat intro, and I want a welcome to the spoiler zone. (laughs) He is so Spoilers. Spoilers. Jackie did it again. <laughs> we're building this up and up and we're building it and eventually the whole show is going to be nothing but audio clips just interacting with each other he is just gonna have a soundboard that he yeah. we will have replaced ourselves with robots or it's just gonna take like a hundred episodes to get through a book because yeah. we can only fit like one sentence in each episode and between that i'm going like bazoinga bazoinga yeah. here we go chapter 28 spoilers <laughs> 
Well, I think we decided next time we're going to chat about um, how we feel we would survive in different post-apocalyptic versions of the world. Heck yeah. Everyone bring in three post-apocalyptic worlds to discuss. Okay. Wait, can we make them up or do they have to be like... No, real worlds. Real post-apocalyptic worlds, Jackie. (laughs) (laughs) Are there nine versions of that? Are you kidding? In books and movies? Mad Max, Waterworld, I Am Legend. Uh, How about... The Hunger Games. Oh, you're right. Harry Potter. Titanic. Titanic? Why do you keep bringing up Titanic in just the wrong situations every time? It's never... For the SEO. Because have you ever been floating in the North Atlantic on a cold April night in 1912 Ugh. and saw everybody that you love in the world just slip beneath those waves? Not everyone. The cast and crew. Yeah, they were fine. They were right there. She said, thanks, James Cameron. This has been a wonderful show. That must have felt post-apocalyptic. Okay. All right. Well, you guys just listed like the most popular six, so don't say any more. You just said you didn't even think there were three. Okay. Can I make up my own? Let's all make up our own. Or we can take from others' sources. This leads into my next podcast idea. I want to make something called the Hellcast, and every episode is a new hell that we come up with. You and I have like done this exercise before. Oh, gosh. Oh. The intro will be, what fresh hell is this? Stay tuned to find out. Yeah, literally. I love coming up with hell ideas. <laughs> Stay tuned. Like, we have to go to a sponsor yeah. while we're being, like, <laughs> is tortured. Is the name of the podcast, <laughs> what fresh hell? It could be. Or it could be the Hellcast. <laughs> Damn, we should have done this whole thing. As if we were in dystopia. The whole podcast or just this episode series? That was our crucial mistake. The whole episode. Oh, wow. All right, everyone. We've left you dangling over that cliff's edge. Come back next week and find out if we extend a helping hand. Or push. Do the thing scarred and sink our lion claws into your... Yeah, 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 yeah. That would be a cool move of us. Ooh, so right now we're Scar and you're Mufasa listeners. Congratulations. Yeah, that's a nice experience for you, right? No, I feel like I'm more like, you know, Timon and Pumbaa. I was going to say you were like Timon. You're Timon Timon and Pumbaa? (laughs) Yeah, I'm both. Okay, well, I'm really glad that you didn't say I'm fucking Pumbaa and you're Timon because I felt like that's where you're... You're doing what to Pumbaa? (laughs) Oh my gosh. Oh, Rachel, no. You said it. Back up. <laughs> now rephrase it. I'm only going to beep out the what. You're doing <laughs> You didn't say that I am Pumbaa and you're Timon. Because yeah. that was low-hanging fruit. What? If you guys are Timon and Pumbaa, who am I? Am I young Simba? Am you're I You're all the, the little grubs that they eat. <laughs> you're Zazu. What? Oh, yeah. I guess that makes sense. You're a total Zazu. You kind of right? are. I do have that John Oliver voice. Wait, was he voiced by John Oliver? In the new one? Yeah. Oh, I'm not going to watch the new one. Never mind. Because of John Oliver voicing Zazu? <laughs> no, I only watch old things. It's the rule. Oh. It's the rule. It's the rule of Jackie's. We have the rule of Theo's. Or sorry, we have the rule of Chandler's. We have the rule of Burton's. What? How old of a thing? Thanks for doxing me. <laughs> <laughs> the rule of Theo. I only watch things dated uh, 2000 or earlier. So starting with Red Planet and going right back. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, Jackie, but I know that's not real. Yeah, well, Titanic made it right in there in 1997, so. There's plenty of space. Name a single movie that I've seen since 2000. Uh, The Room. Can't. Done. What? (laughs) I was right. Fail. (laughs) I said The Room. All right, we better end this thing. Okay, this is the end of the podcast. You've heard enough. We've given you enough of our time. And we've got nothing back. Oh my gosh, you always (laughs) want to take so much. (laughs) You take, take, take. When will you give? (laughs) 
Oh, that's a good segue into Patreon. I feel like I'm the sower and you're the rocky ground. <laughs> yeah, right, right. I mean, I have to say, though, I you're great at mm. listening. Not if they're the rocky ground or the thorns. Or what was the other one? Like somebody's foot? The wild thorns. It was berry. like shallow soil or rocky uh, soil, soil or thorny soil or good soil, something like that. Okay. Where were you thinking, Theo? You thought, oh, I dropped these seeds on your foot and it wasn't ready <laughs> yeah. to receive it. Yeah. Couldn't grow. That would have been horrifying if it was. I know. Yeah. I know. I'm so proud. That's the whole point of the parable. Yeah. <laughs> Coming right. up with horrifying things. Right, we got to end this <laughs> We're done now. Bye. <laughs> no, we have to say Thanks the things. Now. We have to say, these are the reasons I love you. These are the things I want you to do. You got a Patreon donate. You got to do the Facebook group. We got to say all of it. Can't you do it this time because you didn't talk that much? This is unbelievable. I talk. No, okay. this is fire the cannon. Send Theo. me, send me the info, Jackie. and I'll read it. Theo, how many Ugh. times have okay. we done this? Email. Okay, I'll try. I'll is... try. I'll go. No, no, for no, it don't even I'll, bother. No, I'll go for it, and you guys, you guys fill in any info that I'm forgetting. Okay, so thank you all for listening. This has been fire the cannon. It is a podcast. Don't forget that part of it. <laughs> don't forget to follow us on Facebook at Fire the Cannon Pod. Don't forget to email us. At fire the cannon podcast at gmail.com. Just send us your scams, your spams, schemes, schemes. Also, we're on Instagram and Twitter as fire the cannon pod. Uh, don't forget to give us a little bit of change every now and then at ko-fi or coffee.com. That's ko-fi.com slash fire the cannon slash fire the cannon. If you want to give Theo some money, you can go to pyro.com slash fire the cannon. If you want Theo to buy some pyro, you can support us on <laughs> patreon.com slash fire the cannon. We're going to make a Patreon exclusive that's just Theo out of his mind on pyro. <laughs> Wait, say if you're interested in our website, it's firethecannonpod.com. Yeah, if you're interested in our website, it's <laughs> www.firethecannonpod.com. As opposed to Mark Zuckerberg's website or that's yeah. Facebook. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I'm worried he has more traffic than we. We do. I'm not worried. I'll never look it up. I don't want to know. Okay. So now I th- we need to uh, do what we need to do, and that is we need to... <laughs> gosh, that's He's stalling. He's stalling. Starting over, starting over. Okay. So we need to thank one of our new Patreon donors, right? All Just of them. We're going to do one per, per app, right? Or do we do we all do the We do it all ones? when it's all happened in, in a chunk. But let's chunk them. All right. Let's chunk them. You're, you're getting chunked. <laughs> You've just been... Chunked. Chunked. You just got chunked. Chunked. No. <laughs> so, so guys, I wish you would stop being silly. I think what we need to do now, what I want to do now, what I'm craving to do, is thank our new patrons on Patreon who are helping us reach our goal. Oh, they're helping our us reach stretch the goal. goal. Yes. Yes. You guys were amazing. The very first day we posted about this, we got three new friends, and we are so, so thankful for you guys because that was that was easily two more friends than we thought we were going to get. <laughs> Wait, friends um, or patrons? Patrons, Both. yeah. <laughs> I, I, I collect monthly fees from all my friends. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because this is good content, quality. If you want more of this Theo content. <laughs> um, should we thank them in alphabetical order, age order, order in which we like them, order in how much money they're giving, order in which they are tall? Yeah. Order in which they started giving. Let's do okay. it. Who's first? Congratulations to Amanda Jane. Woo! Amanda Jane has been with us from the very beginning. She's one of our biggest fans and we are one of her biggest fans. She's made some of our memes. She's made our and memes. And she finally took the plunge and the water feels great. Yeah. Yes. She participates in every single thing and she is so fun and we love you, Amanda Jane. Thank you. Spectacular patron. Spectacular patron. Really, she's spectacular. Yes. Second on the list, but certainly not second in my heart. 
Lee Allen. Woo! Congratulations, Lee. Lee, Lee Allen. Allen. Should we have a, a sound effect for each patron, oh, too? Oh, gosh. <laughs> it's up to Theo. <laughs> I wish you had stopped suggesting Because <laughs> <laughs> he has to do it. Hey, that's my one joke, okay? <laughs> anyway, no. Thank you so much, Lee. We are so glad that you listened to us. Yes. Like us. You are so appreciated. And um, we love that you're going to get to join us for some of our little behind-the-scenes episodes that we like to do sometimes. Mm-hmm. We hope you like them. You are an extraordinary patron. An extraordinarily patron. Good patron. Uh, okay. Uh. And then our final patron, he gave some life, life, some sperm to a woman who gave life to Jack. Oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> cut that. Cut that. Cut whoa, that. whoa! Don't say the sperm word. <laughs> okay. He helped give Jackie life. He helped. In fact, he was crucial to the process. That would be my father, old Danny B. Dan. Danny boy. No, yep. Danny. The pipes. Boy. Yeah, sing it, Jackie. It is St. Patrick's the pipes, Day. The pipes she has tried to get Fast Car into every episode. <laughs> <laughs> Dad, that was so nice of you. You um, have done more than enough in my life. Yeah. Just creating me, housing me, and feeding me for 18 years. That was awesome. Thank you for that. And now you're giving me and Theo something. Finally spreading the love a little bit. It's about time. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> now you're supporting my two best friends, and I appreciate it. Thank you. A dollar you. Yeah. for each of us. Actually, I don't know what his level is, so don't quote me on that. No. I looked up uh, synonyms for spectacular because I didn't want to use the same words. So you are an out of this world patron. <laughs> it's like a sticker you'd get in <laughs> elementary school. Proud daughter of an out of this world patron. I'm going to put it on my car. Google offers another synonym as amazeballs. Oh, gosh. You are an amazeballs <laughs> patron. Let's call them amazeballs for now. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. Real amazeballs. And, and it's jackamaballs. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to leave that in. (laughs) So I can't say sperm, but you can say jack of my balls. (laughs) Jack, I swear. That's your nickname, Jackie. That's really unfortunate because that was the funniest part of the episode and we can't use it. (laughs) That's your nickname now. Put that in the outtakes. Yeah, that's got to go in the outtakes. Oh, my God. Why are you guys obsessed with making (laughs) sex jokes about my dad? Stop it. It's supposed to be a sex joke. Also, mine wasn't a joke. How do you think babies are made? Do I have to tell you for the second time? (laughs) I don't know, Rachel. You've never explained it to me. I keep asking and asking. (laughs) So that's why you hated what I said. Yeah, because I didn't understand it. I don't want to edit that out because that was pretty Leave it in. All right, leave it in. It's fine. You can bleep it out. (laughs) Jack of my bleeps. Jack of my bleeps. No. <laughs> would it be Jack of my bleeps or bleep of my balls? It would be balls of my blob. <laughs> balls of my blob? Bebop is a balls. Like Beelzebub. Both of those sound like demon names. Bebop is a balls. Bebop is a balls. That sounds very Italian. Bebop is a balls. That's got to be the episode name if this makes it into the episode. Parable of the sower, Bebop is a balls. Yeah. And you wanted to like share it on Octavia Butler's official yeah. Facebook page. We were very complimentary to the book. <laughs> yeah, and then we called the episode Bebaza Balls or whatever we called it. Bebapa's Balls. Okay. Uh, Wait, okay. should we say goodbye now? Yeah, goodbye now. Oh, yeah. Goodbye, Bye now. Nail Yeller. Bye.